0: I'm gonna make this place your home Good
1: morning You're listening to the Kern County Real Estate Review on AM 1560 FM 97.7 KNZR and streaming live on KNZR.com with your host, Lori McCarty of the McCarty Group at Coldwell Banker. Consistently ranked as one of the best in the business nationwide, Lori's been selling real estate in Kern County for over three decades, during which time she's successfully helped over 11,000 families meet their real estate needs. So if you're thinking of buying or selling, there's no No better choice than the McCarty Group. Working with an expert makes the process easy and puts more money in your pocket. Call her at 661-665-SOLD. That's 661-665-7653. And she or one of her team will be delighted to help you. Let them make you their next success story. And good morning, Lori. Good morning, Adelaide. How are you today? Just thinking about... The holidays are so close. Don't
2: start with me.
1: I know. I went to Walmart. Christmas stuff's up.
2: I know, but we still have two and a half months. So <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm putting the kibosh not on that. Not yet. Let's let's wait, guys. Let's get through Halloween first.
2: Exactly.
1: Oh my gosh. It's yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's uh I just want my candy. <laughs>
1: then we'll move on from that.
2: No, no, not for me.
1: No candy. I'll,
2: I'll bring. I'll donate mine to okay. you.
1: I'll that. <laughs> I've got mm-hmm. a ten year old that will say thank you in advance. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: So, you know, I was thinking this week, and can you guess what the number one question I get is every day?
1: Um, I'm going to guess, will you do me a favor and not charge me commission?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, um, but some variation of that probably comes along as number two or three on the list. But really, the question is, when will the market crash? You know, isn't it interesting that, human nature really forces us to always look and think about when a good thing is going to end, right? We can't focus on the positive. We have to look at the the negative. Mm. So as we go through today's um, show, keep that question in mind. I'm going to tell you my thoughts on the subject, and obviously I'd love to hear yours. Okay. So today I thought I'd share some really powerful information that I think will better help everyone understand the relationship between real estate and the United States economy. I think it's important, however, to remember that only you can decide if the time is right to buy your first home, to move up to your dream house, to downsize to your retirement getaway, or to relocate to another state, regardless of what the economy is indicating. You know, for years, economists have recognized that the U.S. housing market is a major indicator of the strength of the overall national economy. And today, it remains one of the strongest sectors of the post-pandemic economy. When our economy is strong and people are confident about the future, they are way more inclined to buy houses, to upgrade or remodel their current homes, or to even buy larger properties. When they're more concerned about the health of the economy, new home construction, remodeling, median sales prices, and housing sales are all depressed. Makes sense, doesn't it? That does make sense. Mm -hmm. So for years, real estate was considered a very reliable way to increase personal wealth because the cost of property and housing seemed to consistently increase over time. However, when the housing bubble we saw in the mid-2000s burst, accompanied by the irresponsible lending practices and inflated inventories of homes, it really triggered a steep decline in property prices, which was the primary cause of the Great Recession in the U.S. in the late 2000s. That resulted in the destruction of the credit of millions of people who were suddenly underwater on their mortgages, and it wound up impacting the housing market for the greater part of a decade. In fact, there's really no better example of real estate's impact on the economy than the 2008 financial crisis. Really, one only needs to examine the effect that initial falling prices had in triggering that catastrophe to realize that, gosh, real estate plays an integral role in the U.S. economy. But, Wait, I'm getting ahead of myself in this discussion. So when we think about it, real estate, particularly residential real estate, not only provides housings for families, frankly, I think it's the greatest source of wealth and savings for many average, everyday Americans. Now, commercial real estate, on the other hand, which also includes apartment buildings, multifamily units, as well as the commercial spaces, creates jobs and spaces for retail and offices, as well as manufacturing. Real estate is a proven commodity. Even when there are temporary downturns, in the long run, real estate continuously appreciates over the long term, and cash-flowing real estate generates reliable income. Trends constantly change in other industries and sectors, but real estate proves to be consistent. When you invest in real estate, you're building tangible assets that can be passed down to future generations, thereby creating generational wealth. Mm. So you can see real estate business and investment provides a source of revenue for millions of people.
1: That's really fascinating, Lori. Wow. Wow.
2: I'm glad you think so. Yes. So now, when we talk about the U.S. economy, the best way to estimate the size of it is with gross domestic product, or GDP, I'm ter- a, a term that I'm, I'm sure all of us have heard used. However, I wasn't really aware until researching this topic that there are three critical measurements of GDP. I thought it was just GDP, gross domestic product. But it turns out that the first is nominal gross domestic product, and this is the primary measure of GDP. It describes how much would be produced for the year if the economy kept going at a constant rate. Then the second is known as real gross domestic product. And real GDP does the same thing as nominal GDP, but it removes the effects of inflation, so economists can use it to compare GDP over time. Last, but certainly not least, there's the gross domestic product growth rate. Now, GDP growth rate uses real GDP to calculate growth as compared to the previous quarter or the previous year. And this number often is described as a positive or a negative percentage. And you'll understand later why that's important. So now that we understand that there are three measurements of GDP, let's look at the four components that comprise the gross domestic product. Those are consumer spending, government spending, don't we wish we had less of that, (laughs) (laughs) business spending, and net exports. So if we start with consumer spending, which comprises approximately 70% of the gross domestic product, I was surprised at that number, frankly, but it includes the subcomponents of goods and services. So goods can either be durable goods like automobiles or homes, or they can be non-durable goods which are immediately consumed and used up stuff like gasoline and groceries. Services consist of things like banking, childcare, maybe even health care. Okay. Now, to understand the ratio of goods and services, in 2019, which was the last date I could find numbers for, services made up 45% of consumer spending while goods made up 25%. Hmm. So, we're a pretty heavily um, service-based economy. Okay. Okay? So, then next, we have government spending. And that is the second largest component driving approximately 18% of GDP. And this includes the national defense spending, social security benefits, and healthcare. It also includes state and municipal budgets. Business investment is the third component, and it makes up approximately 16% of GDP. It includes elements like manufacturing, real estate construction, an intellectual product. The last one is net exports. That's the fourth component. And this is a sum of exports, which add to the nation's economy, and imports, which subtract from it. So the United States, as we've all heard, has a trade deficit, which means we import way more than we export. And that's why the U.S. net export figure has a negative value. We also have to acknowledge in this discussion of the economy that there are three forces that can affect it. Those are supply and demand, the business cycle, and inflation. These are measures of how consumers interact with their money and with the economy. When we understand these forces and how they interact with each other, as well as how they affect consumer behavior, you can learn to, quote-unquote, predict the next boom or the next recession, so to speak. And we'll dig deeper into those forces in just a few moments. In the real estate industry, savvy agents keep their eye on three things. Home inventory supply, the days on the market, and price trends. So every Friday, our team publishes to our social sites what we call Friday Facts. That's where we report how many homes are currently available for sale, how many homes are currently under contract or pending, and how many homes have sold month to date. For example, <clears throat> on the last Friday of September 924, we saw 703 listed in Kern County, 674 pending or under contract, and 416 sold. And we are in a seller's market, which means that we have less than three months' worth of inventory. Understanding these statistics will give you a quick glance at the market and an overall feel of how the economy is doing. And now that we've had our economics lesson 101 for the day, (laughs) when we return, we'll expand this discussion a little to find out how real estate moves the economy and why it's so important to keep up with the market even if you're not interested in buying or selling today. You're listening to the Kern County Real Estate Review with Lori McCarty of the McCarty Group at Coldwell Banker Preferred Realtors here on 1560 AM 97.7 FM KNZR and streaming live on KNZR.com.
1: And to reach Lori you can call her or her team anytime at 661- 665-SOLD. That's 661-665-7653. Or you can go to her website at themccartygroup.com where you can tour all the properties available in Kern County from the comfort of your couch. Request an in-person tour, find out the value of your home, and see the McCarty Group's success stories. I could go on and on about her accolades, but the smartest thing for you to do is just Google her, and read the amazing reviews you'll find it'll become obvious that she is truly an expert in her field and her desire as well as that of her team is to exceed their clients expectations so let them do just that and we'll be right back with the Kern County Real Estate Review here on KNZR
0: Hey, you confused about real estate? Sean Hannity here, and I can tell you as an active real estate investor, well, just like the stock market, it can go up one day and down the next. Home values and sales, they fluctuate on a dime. Now, even though I bought and sold homes for years all across this great country, one thing I will always do is partner with a sharp real estate agent that truly studies local and national market trends, that knows the real value of homes, and most importantly, knows how to generate demand regardless of the market. And the good news is you have a truly amazing agent right in your backyard. I'm talking about Lori McCarty of Coldwell Banker. She has an amazing team working for her that doesn't miss a single detail. Her system is so bulletproof, well, she can create demand for your home at a deadline that you agree to or she will buy it herself. Now, real estate doesn't have to be frustrating or scary. Call Lori McCarty today at 665-SOLD. That's 665-SOLD. Online, The themccartygroup.com. That's the themccartygroup.com. Go there and you can start packing. And we're back this
1: morning with Lori McCarty of the McCarty Group on the Kern County Real Estate Review here on 1560 AM, 97.7 FM, KNZR, and streaming live on KNZR.com. And if you're thinking about selling but need to make some renovations first, you'll want to contact Lori to find out about her amazing new program designed to help sellers get their home ready to sell. It's called the McCarty Line of Convenience, or the MLOC. This program allows sellers to tap into up to $10,000 for renovations and repairs. There's no interest or fees associated with the MLOC. It's simply paid back at the close of escrow. Call 661-665-SOLD. That's 661-665-7653 to see if you qualify for this exclusive new program designed to help maximize your selling price. And now if you're just tuning in, we're dropping some wisdom for our listeners. And now before the break, Lori, you mentioned there are three forces that affect the economy. Can you expand on that a little bit more?
2: If you're sure you want me to. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) So as I mentioned earlier, the three key drivers that impact our economy are supply and demand, business cycle, and inflation. So let's take them one at a time and let's start with the easiest concept of all, supply and demand. I think most people understand the basics of supply and demand. What we have to remember is that it includes more than just products. It includes labor and natural resources as well. Demand is, of course, the biggest driver in the equation to the tune of about 70% as research shows that product prices are directly correlated to the overall demand for the product. The higher the demand, the higher the price that can be commanded, all else being equal. Mm. Conversely, the lower the demand, the lower the price the item will bring on the open market. So, Next, we have to look at the supply side. Here, the reverse is true. The more scarce the commodity is, typically the greater the demand. And the higher the price, while the more abundant the product, the lower the demand and the lower the resulting price, all else being equal. Hmm. Historically, when any particular good or service is traded, The price is going to vary until it settles at a point where the quantity demanded will equal the quantity supplied, resulting in what they call an economic equilibrium for price and quantity that's being transacted. And that forms the basis, at least theoretically, of modern economics. Okay. so There you go, Professor McCarty. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: basically what you're saying is when the demand is high and the supply is low, prices increase. Yep. So the opposite, when the demand is low and the supply is high, prices decrease.
2: You've got it.
1: There we go. Okay.
2: And here's a perfect case study and, and one that's, frankly, near and dear to my heart. We're going to take Diet Dr. Pepper as an example. <laughs> Okay, don't be laughing out there. Uh This is serious stuff. Um, Prior to the pandemic, I could go to any store that sold soft drinks and get one. In a can, in a bottle, in a liter, in a case. You name it, I could find it anywhere. When we were ordered to stay at home, it started Mm -hmm. becoming increasingly difficult to find Dr. Pepper. And of course, most of the other diet soft drinks as well.
1: Makes me think of the toilet paper shortage too. Yeah, yeah, there's that too.
2: But let's talk about the serious stuff, okay? So the Curry Dr. Pepper Company has experienced an increase in their cost of goods since 2019, which is up almost 20% as of the close of the second quarter of this year. Why, you might ask? Well, here are just some of the many ways the soft drink industry has been impacted since the pandemic started, with high demand and low supply. Remember, prices go up until demand levels off or supply can meet demand. First, believe it or not, there's an aluminum can shortage. Secondly, who knew, but there is a global caffeine shortage. And guess who the world's biggest exporter of synthetic caffeine, supplying 70% of the U.S. synthetic caffeine product is? Hmm. Yes, you guessed it, China. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Furthermore, many artificial sweeteners are exported from China, which is causing an additional shortage. Fourth, we have a shortage of drivers and we have a shortage of deliverers. Hmm. And of course, as anyone who's old enough to drive a car knows, gas prices are up,
1: way up. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot going into it. And now when you spell it out like that, it makes perfect sense why well, there's a shortage of diet Dr. Pepper. So in that same vein, can you explain some of the factors that have been creating this
2: crazy housing market we've been experiencing? Sure. In the housing market, it's not only a shortage of inventory that's driving the market, but also a decisive increase in demand. So let me break it down for you this way. Housing prices have been steadily appreciating prior to the pandemic, as is normal in a balanced market. The stay-at-home orders caused many people to be unhappy with their current living arrangements. You know, there's a big difference between being at home in the evening versus being at home Mm
0: 24-7.
2: So people discovered that their living arrangements no longer suited their New lifestyle and the challenges of everyday living um, really found them needing to make changes to their work, you know, to their home environment. Mm. Things like working from home, distance learning, maintaining their physical fitness without going to the local gym, all those things started creating an increased desire for new housing. Mm. At the same time, we had many potential sellers choosing for a variety of reasons not to sell their homes. Some because they calculated how to remodel or update their existing home to make it suit their current needs. Others because they chose to remain sheltered. And still others because they determined they were going to retire in place rather than downsize or right-size their housing needs. Or maybe they just decided this wasn't the right time for them. When you combine that with an overall improving economy that bolsters consumer confidence and wealth and millennials entering their peak family formation period and therefore their peak home buying years, layer on top of that the ever-present work-from-home possibilities that have been rampant, add to it the rising building costs and governmental requirements that have been placing constraints on the new housing supply, particularly here in California, as well as the extremely high cost of rental housing, making it a more sensible move to purchase than rent, if it's at all possible, eviction moratoriums further constraining the supply of homes, and, of course, the granddaddy of them all, historically low interest rates. And bam, you have double digit rapid appreciation as demand drastically outpaces supply. So wow. does that make sense?
1: Yep, I've got it now, And I know you've talked about all of those factors in the past, but it's pretty interesting to hear them all laid out at once. And you know, I mean that that's a lot of stuff to think about. But if you look at them closely, you can see how yeah. they affect all affect and, it all.
2: And honestly, I'm sure I'm leaving out a few things, but that's what I could come up with.
1: Okay. Okay. Now we mentioned, didn't we mention uh, the other two forces that affect the economy?
2: Though. Yeah, there are there are two more forces. So besides supply and demand, we have business cycles and inflation.
1: What exactly is a business
2: cycle? So, okay, great question. I got my learning
1: cap on. Great question, I'm I'm (laughs) glad.
2: (laughs) The business cycle is the natural rise and fall of economic growth that occurs over time. That's the most simple explanation I can come up with. And maybe if I explain it this way, each business cycle has four phases. They are known as the expansion, the peak, the contraction, and the trough. So... It's how the economy moves over time. These phases don't occur at regular intervals, but they do have recognizable indicators in the form of GDP, growth rate, unemployment rate, and the rate of inflation.
1: Hmm. Okay. I can picture it in my head, but where do you think we are in the current business cycle?
2: Well, clearly, we are in the expansion phase. Okay. Now, my personal opinion from everything I see is that we may be nearing the peak. Of course, full disclaimer here, I don't have a crystal ball, but all indicators seem to point to that. And of course, when we think about that inevitable trough that will come at the end of the current business cycle, we have to realize that the severity of it will be measured by its depth its diffusion, and its duration, just as the the strength of this expansion will be measured by how pronounced, how pervasive, and how persistent it remains. Mm. Right? It has come on strong, far more so than anybody ever ever thought it would. And it has really continued a lot longer than anybody thought it would, too. If you remember, uh, when the pandemic first began, everyone said, huh, okay, great, bottom's going to drop out of real estate. One of those foreclosures coming.
1: Yep, yep. Never Mm -hmm. happened,
2: right? Now, our last force that affects the economy is inflation, which is defined as the rate at which the value of a currency is falling and consequently the general level of prices for goods and services is rising. So to put it a little more succinctly, inflation reduces the value of your money. It simply won't go as far as it used to, okay? To pay Mm -hmm. attention to what inflation is doing, the most commonly used inflation indexes are the Consumer Price Index, which you'll see abbreviated as CPI, and the Wholesale Price Index, the WPI,
1: Hmm. So out of curiosity, do you know what our current <laughs> inflation rate is?
2: <laughs> you know, I, I I was afraid you were going to ask. So I did look it up. And for the 12 months ending in August 2021, the current annual inflation rate is 5.25%. Hmm. That seems high, is it? Well, certainly it's higher than the 2.6% that we experienced for the 12 months ending Uh, March of 2021. And it's much higher than at any time since 1990, when inflation was 5.4%. But it's nowhere near as high as 1980's 13.55%.
1: Okay. So
2: it's all relative.
1: Yeah, I guess I feel a little better with that perspective.
2: Right. And I tell you what, Adelaide, on our, because I actually went all the way back to the early 1900s to look at inflation rates. And mm-hmm. the highest it got was back in, I think, 1913, and it was 17.33% then. Um, so on our social media sites, I'll post some charts about inflation and some greater details about what to look for in the business cycles for those who want to delve a little deeper into these forces at play and know when you're... Uh, GDP growth rate is at this, what to look for when inflation is at this, what to look for, etc.
1: Okay, well that sounds good. And I know you mentioned earlier that real estate is a key driver to the national economy. Can you tell us how does real estate help us out at the state level?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Sure. So the real estate industry accounted for $674.3 billion, or 21.8%, of California's gross state product in 2020. And according to the National Association of Realtors, the total economic impact for California is $196,000 per typical home sold. Wow, that's a pretty staggering number. It it really is. I was kind of surprised. Huh. Um, so I'm sure you're wondering, how do they arrive at that number? So let me break it down as follows. Um, <clears throat> they show that 56700 in income is generated from the real estate-related industries, such as commissions, fees, moving expenses, or income that is uh, – income to real estate industries that are associated directly with the purchase. Then there's another $4,700 in expenses related to home purchase, such as furniture and remodeling, uh, based on figures from the National Association of Home Builders. Then there's $29,500 multiplier of housing-related expenditures.
1: Wait, so what does that mean?
2: So according to the National Association of Realtors, the multiplier effect accounts for the fact that income earned in other sectors of the economy as a result of a home sale is then recirculated into the economy, Mm, okay? Okay? And then there's $105,100 in new home construction because additional home sales induce added home production. So according to their statistics, typically one new home is constructed for every six existing home sales. So for every existing home sale, one-sixth of a new home's value is added to the economy. So okay. that's pretty impressive. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Now, in August of 2021, California set an all-time high Median single-family home price of $827,940. Now, when we say median, that's not average. That's the middle. Okay. That means half of the homes sold below that and half of the homes sold above that. Okay. That's a pretty impressive number. But unfortunately, it's pricing many families out of the market.
1: That's a big number for a lot of people.
2: It is. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, as a Central Valley County, we make up over 22% of overall California home sales. And our average home price in Kern County is now at $329,000. That's up 14% just from this time last year.
1: Wow, that's some pretty solid appreciation.
2: That's a lot. It is. Um, now, in researching for this show, I was kind of surprised to, to find out that historically, jobs in California create homeowners and tenants on a roughly 50 50 basis. Hmm, really? Yeah. Um, so, approximately half of all the households own the residence they occupy, and the other half rent. I was really surprised to discover that homeownership in California is well below the national average and stood at 54.5% in the first fiscal quarter of 2021, which is, are you ready for this? 16.9% below the national average. Wow. Yeah, and what's more is the fact that the rental vacancy rate is 4.8%, and that's 29% below the national average.
1: It's hard to find a rental. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um,
2: these two statistics combined with the record high median price points make it clear to understand why homeownership is becoming such a fleeting opportunity for so many in our community. Now on a broader scale, I think it's important to realize that the appreciation or depreciation of property values really relies on increases or decreases in local population density, and, of course, on the economics of the jobs that are held by the local population, such as the numbers of jobs, the skill level of those jobs, and then, of course, their attendant pay levels, right? So demand for all types of real estate ebbs and flows with the number of local jobs during periods of economic boom or economic bust. Additions to the local labor force really tend to drive rents and prices up on properties in the area and results in local construction of homes, multifamily units, and commercial space. But on the other hand, a decline in the number of local jobs reduces the need for all types of real estate, as during a recession. So reductions in local employment lead to lower rents and prices paid by tenants and buyers for the occupancy and the use of all types of real estate. So to put that into perspective, California has just over 8 million single-family homes and 17.4 million individuals employed in 2020, according to the U.S. Census. Clearly, we have a shortage of housing in the state, and unfortunately, wages are not really keeping up with the cost of inflation and the appreciation of our housing. And unfortunately, until that, among other things, are rectified, I really fear that California uh, will continue seeing a net reduction in population levels, uh, which is going to continue to hurt us as a community and a state, not to mention our local and state economies. Mm. Now, I read somewhere in preparing for this show, but honestly, it it kind of escapes me where that was now, that for every 10 jobs lost in California, six people would not be able to purchase a home or retain the home they already live in unless they have cash reserves.
1: Now, I, I do have a question about this, too, because it's getting harder to purchase. Yes. But it's getting more expensive to rent. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like, or you know, correct me if I'm wrong. It's even more important to find a way to buy a home.
2: It is. And it absolutely. is. Because I've
1: got a buddy, and you know, he knows we do the show, or you know, and uh, we're talking about it, and I was like, look, you know, if you go find an apartment, you know, it's it's good at the minimum a two bedroom in a decent place around in Bakersfield is fifteen hundred to two yep. grand. I mean, it's yep. getting up there. I'm like, look, it's find- scary numbers. Yeah, find a way, even if you have to ask your parents. Mm -hmm. Friends say, hey, help me out with a down payment. I'll pay you back and get in somehow.
2: Plus, there are many down payment assistance programs that are Mm -hmm. available. Um, There are, with FHA financing, you can look at doing um, minimal down payment, Um, conventional. If you have great credit, you can do a 3% down conventional loan. Um, mm-hmm. or with FHA financing, 3.5% down. Plus, if you apply down payment assistance programs to that, you can get in with very little out-of-pocket expense. Yes, And I think that that is critical for buyers. Mm-hmm. While interest rates are still at historically low levels, mm-hmm. I think it is important that, that they, like you said, reach out to family members, do whatever they can to try to break into this market. And And on on a positive note, since the end of May, we are seeing, and I think we've talked about this before on the show, we are seeing a slight increase week over week of inventory coming to the market as more sellers start being more comfortable with placing their homes on the market. And... That is helping alleviate some buyer fatigue that is out there, meaning Mm -hmm. buyers got tired of looking, writing offers, looking, writing offers, getting rejected, and finally said, I throw up my hands, I'm done. Well, now they are getting their offers accepted more often and not feeling so um, left out of the market.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think about I, I bought, purchased my first home back in two thousand four, mm-hmm. and it was probably an eight hundred and fifty dollar payment, right. which I I miss, but right, <laughs> but you think back then you are like, how are we going to afford this? It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be tough.
2: It is the same with every first time home buyer. Mm-hmm. I don't care. It honestly, it's the same with every first time home buyer and every move up buyer because as you move up to the next house you you get those butterflies in your stomach and you say, whoa, I never thought I'd pay this much for a home. And yeah. yet the lender's not going to let you qualify for more than you can afford. Mm-hmm. Lending guidelines are very strict right now. And so once you make that payment and you make it for anywhere, it depends on the person, two to six months, all of a sudden you start going, I don't know what I was worried about. <laughs> I got this. No problem.
1: If you have to cut out a little bit of fast food or, you know, some of those other mini luxuries,
2: well, it so be it, know, I think. I, I think initially until you feel comfortable, mm-hmm. yes, but I always believe that <clears throat> buyers should never be house poor, um, mm. meaning you should never buy above your means, Um it may feel like a stretch to you simply because you've been comfortable yeah. um, at an eight fifty payment when you go to a thousand dollar payment, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: But clearly, um, I know you may love Starbucks, but you know at four dollars a cup, <laughs> I think you know over the course of the year you can probably find that hundred and fifty dollars a month extra. Right? Yes,
1: yes. And and okay. trust me, as you see rents going up around you mm-hmm. and you've got this payment.
2: Far better to have far better to yeah. have home ownership and be building equity than to be paying someone else's mortgage in the form of a rent payment.
1: Absolutely. So give Lori a call because she can help help talk you through this. You for bet sure. we've got yes. many
2: great team members that would be delighted to assist as well as myself.
1: She's Professor McCarty, Dr. (laughs) McCarty, (laughs) and Lori McCarty to to those around her, too. Wow,
2: with all that, I tell you, i got to refresh my Diet Dr. Pepper here Uh, from my dwindling supply. Which, by the way, Adelaide, (laughs) I was serious about this shortage of Diet Dr. Pepper uh, that I discussed earlier. Mm, Um, i got to tell you, it has me and my staff worried. I don't think any of us want to find out. What happens if I can't get any? Okay, (laughs) So if any of our listeners out there know where to find some, drop me a DM on social, please. (laughs) We'll be right back. It's no fun missing out on the home you love or having to settle for something less just because you couldn't sell your own home quickly. I'm Barbara Corcoran. I've worked with thousands of successful real estate agents. Let me help you choose the right agent so this doesn't happen to you. If you're buying or selling in Bakersfield, call Lori McCarty because she offers an immediate cash offer and can help you find great homes before they hit the market. Partner with the right agent. Go to the McCarty Group.com and start packing.
1: You're listening to KNZR, 1560 AM, 97.7 FM and streaming live on KNZR.com. And we're back this morning with the Kern County Real Estate Review featuring our host, Lori McCarty of The McCarty Group. For all your real estate questions, call Laurie at 661-665-SOLD. That's 661-665-7653. Or go online to Group.com. You can also follow Laurie. at on social media. For Facebook, follow her at The McCarty Group or on Instagram at Lori underscore McCarty. And to keep up with all the real estate news in Kern County, you can follow this show on Facebook at the Kern County Real Estate Review. There you can also submit questions you'd like Lori to answer on-air or suggest topics you'd like her to cover on Sunday mornings. And this morning, we're talking about real estate and the economy. And I, for one, really appreciate you taking the time to explain the interconnectedness of all these terms we hear so frequently used in the world of economics like gross domestic product and consumer price index. Now, I've always had a general idea of how they related to one another, But today, however, I've got a much clearer picture of their association to one another as a result of your explanation. So thanks, Professor Lori. (laughs) And I'll turn the microphone back over to you.
2: Thanks so much, Adelaide. You know, that's always been our goal here, to try and take some of the murkiness of the world of real estate away and make it crystal clear for everyone. Um, So I think, as I said earlier, There's really no better example of real estate's impact on the economy than the 2008 financial crisis. Falling home prices initially triggered the downturn, but few people really realized it at the time. By July of 2007, the median price of an existing single-family home was down 4% since its peak in October of 2005, according to the National Association of Realtors. But economists, interestingly enough, couldn't agree on how bad that was. Mm. See, there are definitions of recession and bear market and a stock market correction. Those are all well standardized, but the same is not true for housing, Mm. okay? To give you some perspective, Many compared it to the 24% decline during the Great Depression of 1929. And then other economists likened it to the decline ranging from 22 to 40% in oil producing areas in the early 1980s. So by those standards, a measly 4% slump was barely noteworthy. Mm. However, as they didn't pay attention, that crash quickly gained steam and some economic studies showed that housing prices declined between 10 and 15%, that that amount are enough to eliminate the homeowner's equity entirely. And that occurred as early as 2007 in some communities in Florida, in Nevada, and also in Louisiana.
1: Does that, hearing that or being in a home like that, does that kind of drive you to like, I'm not going to pay anymore? Is that, is that where that came from?
2: Some of it, okay. absolutely. Okay. And on top of that, almost half of the loans issued between 2005 and 2007 were known as subprime loans.
1: What exactly are those?
2: So subprime lenders are creditors who offer loans to individuals who don't qualify for loans under traditional guidelines, typically because the subprime borrowers have below average credit ratings, and are therefore presumed to be at a greater risk of defaulting on their loans. So when you think about it, almost half of the loans that were originated in the two years leading up to the collapse were made to borrowers that were more likely than average to default. Mm. That's a brilliant idea, right? (laughs) On top of that, banks used these subprime mortgages to support trillions of dollars of derivatives, meaning that banks folded the subprime mortgages into mortgage-backed securities. They sold them as, quote-unquote, safe investments to pension funds, to corporations, and to retirees. And those investors felt protected or insured from a default by a new insurance product that was called credit default swaps, the biggest insurer of which was American International Group, or AIG, which I think most people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. When borrowers began defaulting, as they inevitably would, the mortgage-backed securities had questionable value. So many investors then tried to exercise their credit default swaps. Then AIG ran out of cash and threatened to default itself, which required the Fed, or the Federal Reserve, to step in and bail it out. Banks, with a lot of mortgage-backed securities on their books, like Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, became shunned by the other banks. And without cash to run their businesses, they turned to the Federal Reserve for help. The Fed found a buyer for Bear Stearns, but not for Lehman Brothers, and their bankruptcy was what officially kicked off the 2008 financial huh. crisis. Yeah. Now, during that, California took a disproportionately greater hit to jobs during the 2008 recession in comparison to the nation. The magnitude of California's real estate bubble exceeded those of all other states except Nevada and Florida in terms of its negative impact on pricing, on lending, on construction, speculation, and anticipation of demand. The recession's impact on the housing industry was equally severe. In turn, the recovery's long, bumpy plateau path took longer than the rest of the nation, as we corrected for the recent past excesses. What happens in a commodity economy such as Texas and in every other state has very little relationship to what happens in California a state that is defined by much more than the continental divide. Hmm. So do we need to be worried? Well, obviously, at some point, the business cycle we are in will change from expansion to contraction, just as all business cycles do. But no, Chicken Little, (laughs) I keep telling you the sky is not falling. Okay? (laughs) Okay. There are many, many differences between the current housing market and the 2005 market or the 2008 market. For example, subprime loans make up a much smaller percentage of the mortgage market than they did then, although they are beginning to grow again under the non-prime loan's name. So if you start hearing that terminology more frequently, beware, okay? Additionally, banks have raised lending and credit standards. So as an example, those who want to flip homes have to now provide between 20 and 45% of the cost of a home to purchase. But during the years leading up to the financial crisis, they needed 20% or less down payment. Additionally, the government created the Homeowner Affordability and Stability Plan, or HASP as it was known, in 2009 in an attempt to stabilize the U.S. economy. HASP improved the ability for a homeowner to refinance their mortgage at lower interest rates and lower their monthly payments. It also approved $75 billion in aid to help people stay in their homes through the Homeowner Affordability Modification Program, or HAMP. The government supported Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to stabilize the housing market, as well as passed the Dodd-Frank bill to strengthen consumer financial protections and regulate derivatives, among other items. Another important difference is that homeowners are not taking as much equity out of their homes today as they were back then. Home equity rose to $85 billion in 2006. But it collapsed to less than 10 billion in 2010, and it remained there until 2015. By 2017, it had only risen to 14 billion. A big reason is that fewer people are filing for bankruptcy now. In 2016, only 770,800 and some odd filed for bankruptcy, but in 2010, 1.5 million people did. Not too long ago, I shared that out of the people remaining in forbearance, only 13% have less than 10% equity in their homes, meaning that should they be unable to retain their home, will they or their lender suffer a loss on the property.
1: Mm. Having lived through the Great Recession of 2008, I have to admit not only myself, but I have many friends who are concerned about how severe this downturn will be and when it will start.
2: I understand completely, Adelaide, and I wish I could pinpoint the date for you and for all of our clients. But if I was that magical, I could have retired (laughs) already, right? Mm. What I can tell you is this. I've been to a couple of lending-based conferences recently, one that was held by the Mortgage Bankers Association and the other was the Five Star Conference. At both, the general sentiment was that we are nearing the peak of the market But keep in mind, nearing is a relative turn. At the five-star, they did not expect a foreclosure flow of inventory until 2022 to 2023. And my sense of inventory levels was that they would still be quite low once they do start coming. Secondly, not all economic recessions or downturns mean the housing market will crash right? The Great Recession, which started as a result of these subprime mortgages and mismanagement of mortgage-backed securities, caused real estate prices to fall by 30 to 50 percent in a matter of months, depending on where you were in the nation. But we forget that a housing recession of this magnitude had never been seen before. But because of its severity, and the length of its duration, it has caused many of us to believe that a recession in general means that all markets will plummet as they did in the 2008 credit crisis. It's simply not the case. Because we remember it so vividly, it's it's hard to get over that. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. So a real estate downturn, of course, can be caused by many factors including affordability when prices have been pushed so high, homes are no longer affordable. And as a result, values can go down because demand has decreased as no one can afford to borrow or buy. It can be influenced by waning demand from an oversupply, a lack of interest, or little to no economic activity in a certain market or a portion of a real estate market. It can be influenced by false demand for mortgage rates being low for too long or from loose lending policies making it too easy to get a mortgage like what happened in the Great Recession. It can also be influenced by a severe economic recession, which lowers the demand for housing overall because consumers are motivated to save money versus spending because they're concerned about unemployment or volatility in the market. So in general, a recession can typically cause real estate values to decrease because there's lower demand for homes or investment properties. It can cause vacancies to increase because people may experience or be afraid of experiencing a loss in wages or becoming unemployed. And rental rates could decrease because tenants are less likely to move to a new rental unit or move at all during this time. Short sales and foreclosures increase because people have difficulty paying their mortgage. Those who typically do the best during the recession, however, are those who have equity in their home or their investment property, who have high liquidity and sufficient cash flow or cash reserves to pay their debt obligations, even if they do suffer a reduction in cash flow or income for a short period of time. I tell you, it's a great opportunity if you have additional cash to invest mm. when the market is down, mm. okay? But to, to really, hopefully, allay some of your fears and those of some of your friends and, and some of our listeners, let me give you just a point of comparison, In August of 2007, as the first big wave of foreclosures started hitting Kern County, we had 5,952 homes for sale. That month, we sold 339, and we had 306 pending, with 17.6 months of inventory available based on the absorption rate—I always have a hard time with that (laughs) uh, word—of sold homes. Compare that to the numbers I gave you for 924 of 21, which were 703 homes for sale in all of Kern County, 416 sold, and 674 pending. If I carry those numbers all the way to the end of the month of September, they would be 723 for sale, 610 sold, and 868 pending. Let me put that in perspective. That's one-eighth the number for sale in the county, almost double the number sold in the month, and 2.8 times the number of pending sales, with less than a month's worth of inventory. You tell me. You think it's going to happen anytime soon? It's, it won't be as bad. <laughs> and if it does, you betcha.
1: Wow. We've
2: got a long ways to go to wow. match those levels.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Even a little bit kind of off the air, we talked about opportunity. Right. And you you, you mentioned that. If yeah. you've got cash or a way to get in, mm-hmm. there might be opportunity there for you, too. So we know that what holds against inflation, right? real estate. Real estate. Real estate. Real estate. So if you can get in. Get in. Get in. Call Lori. Right. Definitely. So that does make me feel a lot better, too. And as fascinating and educational as this has all been, unfortunately, it's time to wrap up already.
2: <laughs> well, I'm sure some of our listeners are like, great. Let's <laughs> tune in next week to a hopefully less pedantic discussion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. A lot of great information. Though, well, thank so, you. Uh, yes.
2: Now, before we go, I want to remind everyone that the Bakersfield Fall Home Show is will kick off at the fairgrounds on October 15th. And you can also visit the Barn Door Vintage Market, which was formerly known as the Old Time Peddler's Fair, while you're there. So hopefully today we've provided a little more clarity into how real estate impacts the world around us. We look forward to visiting with you again next Sunday at 8 a.m. just before Sean Hannity, who's coming up next. If by chance you missed an episode of the show or have a friend that couldn't catch today's recording, no worries, we've got you covered. You can now hear this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Kern County Real Estate Review or go to our website where episodes are uploaded weekly. This is Lori McCarty with the McCarty Group of Coldwell Banker Preferred Realtors and your host of the Kern County Real Estate Review. Thanking you for tuning in and wishing you and yours a blessed rest of the day and a wonderful week ahead. You're listening on 1560 AM, 97.7 FM, KNZR, and streaming live on KNZR.com.